0: I'll ask you a question this morning. How much are you willing to give up before you give up? How much are you willing to give up before you just say, I'm throwing in the, the towel, it's not worth it? Years ago, some youth leaders and I, we decided to take a trip. We decided to go to the Grand Canyon. We had, most of us had never been there before. I had never been there before. I've seen pictures. I'd heard people talk about it, how amazing it is, how you have to see this thing in person. And so we decided to go, but there was a cost to it. And I'm not talking about the the money it took to get there. I'm talking about just the journey itself. See, we had to wait till everyone in the group was done with work, and so we left in the afternoon, and you know what afternoon traffic is like on a Friday, right? And so we sat there on the 91 for hours and hours and hours. Finally, we made it to the forty. And when you go 40 east, you've got about 300 miles, and we drove that 300 miles in the dark. And I'm driving along on this straight and narrow, just thinking, is this thing going to be worth it? I, I hope it is, because my back's starting to hurt, my eyes are starting to droop, and I'm sick and tired of the music that these people keep wanting to listen to. We finally get to our, our hotel, uh, which was supposed to be a, a relatively nice, cheap hotel, but when we actually examined the room, it looked something more like a crime scene, <laughs> and we're thinking, is this going to be worth it? Last week, we said that as we step into 2020, we're stepping into a journey here. And to be prepared for that journey, we looked at Romans twelve twelve, and we reminded ourselves that in 2020, we need to be rejoicing in hope. We need to be patient in tribulation because tribulation, trials, struggles, they will come absolutely in 2020, and we need to be constant in prayer. This morning, I'd like us to consider another question, and the question is this. For those who are stepping into 2020, as followers of Jesus, have we counted the cost of journeying with Christ? That's what I want us to look at this morning, the cost of journeying with Christ. For Christ, certainly the journey was costly. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought with a price. What was that price? First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 says, You were ransomed, that's talking about us, who believe in Jesus Christ, who have had our sins forgiven. We were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Not, not those things. But with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus paid it all, didn't he? That's why he came. That's why he left the glory of his heavenly home. That's why the first Christmas. That's why he lived 33 years in perfect obedience to God. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. He endured the journey at great personal cost for you, for me, that we might be forgiven that we might be restored, that we might be reunited with God and given a hope and a future. Christ's journey was costly. But you know, to those who follow him, the journey is also costly. To the ones Christ saves, he also calls that they give their all in worship to God. Worship him with all their heart, all their strength, all their mind. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, he was captured, he was eventually executed by the Nazis in World War II. He wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There's so many Christians today, or those who accept the name Christian, and they're anxious to accept the free gift The free gift of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, there are so many that refuse to embrace the costs of following Christ. The more focused on minimizing and eliminating those costs, the the stigmas, the sacrifices, the inconveniences, the, the unpredictability, the risks, the awkward tension it creates with other people the costs associated with being a Christian, the more they focus on minimizing those things, eliminating them altogether. We don't want any of these costs. We want to get rid of these costs. The less likely they are to know anything about being a real follower of Jesus. Jesus went for a walk. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers and their father, and followed him. You know, the call that Jesus gives these men at this point was not about believing in him. It wasn't about believing in him. According to the Gospel of John, Peter and Andrew, they had been followers of Jesus for about a year. They were much like you and I. They listened to Jesus' teaching. They, they probably even considered themselves Christ's disciples But they return back to their jobs, their families, their their normal lives. And when Jesus calls them to follow in this passage, it's something different. He's calling them to action. He's calling them to obedience. He's calling them to let go of what they were doing, their, their, their plans, their dreams, their old lives, and take on his life, and his mission take on his agenda. He's calling them to a lifelong journey with him. It's kind of like uh, signing a ship's manifest and setting sail now with your Savior to a new world. They were saying goodbye to the life they once knew and yes to a future with Jesus. The same is true for any of us who accept his call. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, journeying with Jesus is costly. And this morning, I just want to take a look at a few of those costs associated with with following Jesus. Just so that as we step into 2020 and we say, yes, I'm stepping into 2020 as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior. I am His. I want us to do so with eyes wide open, knowing full well what it may mean. First of all, journeying with Christ, it means giving up our security or at least, our perceived security, right? Because the reality is, is any security that we think we have in the things of this world, well, that's no security at all at all in compared to the absolute security we have in Christ. Isn't it tempting? It's tempting, isn't it, to resist the calling of God on our lives because we want to make sure that we're secure, that we're taken care of that we've got our provisions all lined up and taken care of, our future is secure. You know, it's possible to grasp so tightly to the things that we think make us secure. Our jobs, our bank accounts, our real estate, our relationships, our spending money, our fashion, maybe even our good looks. (laughs) It's possible to hold so tightly that we miss out on opportunities to do what Christ has for us, the things that he's called us to. Can you imagine if Peter, or James, or John, or Andrew, would have said to Jesus, well, Jesus, we, we, we'd love to go with you. We really would. You're a great guy. We've got our, our nets here. We've got our, our jobs here. It, it, how are we going to make it? without this stuff. Similar to what a couple others told Jesus in Luke 9, 59. Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. And then in verse 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, even Matthew, they walked away from their livelihood. They gave it all up. And someone might be thinking so, does that mean that when you follow Jesus, you simply got to walk away from your jobs and you, your responsibilities, neglect uh, the needs of your family? No, not necessarily. At the last supper, Jesus asked his disciples, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? See, Jesus had sent his disciples out and they were to do ministry. And he said, don't take any of that stuff, just go. Did you lack anything? They replied, nothing. And then Jesus said, but now, but now, if you have a purse, we'll take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Well, what's going on here? Is Jesus contradicting contradicting himself? Is he he just totally inconsistent? He says one thing one day. Don't take anything this day. But now I want you to take supplies this day. What is going on here? What's the point? Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a very important lesson. And the lesson isn't that you can't have stuff that you can't have insurance policies, that you can't have a job, that you can't have all of these things that kind of go hand in hand with just living here on earth. He's not saying that, but what he's saying is when you look for security, you look in one place. You look to him. He wanted them to let loose their grip on the things they thought they needed and seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus had told them before, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. He was saying, just trust me along the way. I wonder if at that moment the disciples were thinking back to what he said in Matthew 6. Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. See, Jesus wanted his followers to look to God for their security. He says, go. Trust me. I'll take care of you along the way. I'm going to provide for you. And if you're a follower of Christ, recognize this that you are a child of the king and he cares about you. He cares for those who are his. Your security is not meant to be found in the things that you stash here on earth, but in God who holds the world in his hands. Paul told the Christians in Philippi, Philippians 4.19, my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, when Christians journey with Christ, they hold loosely to the the earthly means of, of feeling secure, and they hold tightly to the one who holds their eternal security. Where do you look for for security? Is one of your hands tightly gripping the hand of Jesus while the other just refuses to let go of the things that you think are making you secure? Lord, give us strength to let go in 2020. Loosen our grip on the things that will let us down and help us to hold fast to our steadfast unfailing hope. May we look solely to you. Not only does following Christ mean giving up your security, it also means giving up your safety. Look at Matthew 10, 16 through 23. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over... Not if. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Even even what they needed to say was going to be provided by God in that hour. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who's speaking for you. And then he says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 16 Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves? What a happy thought. (laughs) Following Christ is like going out as defenseless sheep among bloodthirsty, ravaging wolves that just want to tear you limb from limb. Jesus says, You'll be hated, you'll be persecuted you will be arrested some of you will be put to death why because those who journey with Christ those who were involved in and share in the work of Christ they share in his suffering as well Matthew 10:24 a disciple is not above his teacher Jesus said nor a servant above his master It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? If you look like Jesus and you proclaim his message, expect to be treated like him. You might say, that's a terrible thing. I didn't sign up for this. Didn't Jesus come to bring peace, happiness? What about health or or prosperity? Didn't he come to bring me those things? I, I thought that if I just had enough faith, then Jesus was going to bless me. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? And the reality is, no. Remember last week, we saw that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And the funny thing is Jesus disciples they looked at the trouble that they faced and they gladly accepted it. What a thing to be, to be able to suffer for the cause of Christ. And Paul said in Philippians 3 Whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. All the things I had before knowing Christ, the prestige, the honor, the wealth, whatever it was, i, I can't, that was just loss. I wanted to get rid of that stuff. It, it's nothing compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. And then he says, for his sake, I have suffered becoming like him in his death. When I was young and in Bible memory programs that I want to program and had to memorize this verse, I thought, yes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's skip that last part. But you see, to the one who truly loves Christ and know what it means to follow him, they say, yeah, bring it on. I want everything about me to be just like Jesus, even if that means suffering just like him because my savior is my everything and he is my life and I want to look just like him. And so when those things come my way, I say, yes, Paul's journey with Christ brought him a whole slew of challenges, a whole slew of hardships, but compared to the awesome work of knowing Christ, it was worth it. And so personal safety and security and convenience and fame and fortune and success and all those things meant nothing. Is your desire for safety preventing you from taking risks for Christ? Is Jesus calling you like he called Peter? Step, go ahead, step out of that boat. See what happens. Out of the place of safety, of security, and into the place where the only thing that was gonna hold him up on those waves was the power of God. Is Jesus calling you to take a similar step but you're hesitant because you're not willing to place yourself completely in his hands. Lord, help us to trust you and you alone. Help us to realize that there is no safer place than walking through life right by your side. May our confidence in you be such that when you call us to follow, we don't timidly test the water but jump out with both feet and run to you. Following Christ means giving up on our security, giving up our safety. It also means caring less about what other people around us think and more about what God thinks. Journeying with Christ means giving up our fear of humanity so that we can fear God. When Jesus was sending out the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, he spoke to them about the opposition that they were going to face. But then he says in verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I, will, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven Jesus said, don't fear those people who can kill your body, but fear the Lord who can kill your body, and he can also give you eternal punishment. Why are we afraid of people who oppose us? Why do we live our lives constantly in fear, constantly preoccupied of what other people think, how they're looking at us, what they might be saying about us? What's the worst they can do to us? Kill us? Well, yeah. But Jesus says there's someone who can do a whole lot more damage than that. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is something to be afraid of. But the good news is that he who is the most powerful and holds that right and that ability, he's the one who loves us more than any other. He's the one who who cares about the sparrow. The sparrow! How much more does he care for you? He knows the number of hairs on your head. That's something not even my fancy watch knows. You are so valuable in his eyes. It's so easy to get caught up in playing for the crowd, isn't it? We're constantly listening to people around us, conscious of what they say, how they look at us, what they might be thinking, but Jesus calls us to live for one person. He calls us to give up our fears of everyone else and care only about what God thinks of us. Like children who call out to mom or or dad, watch me as I jump in the pool or as I run really fast in my new shoes just like that. Let's be people who take every step caring only about what God thinks of us. We're his children. Lord, may we live for an audience of one. May your approval be the only thing we care about. Alleviate our fear of people. Help us to live for you and you alone in 2020. Journeying with Christ, it means giving up our security, our safety, our fear of other people. Finally, journeying with Christ means being willing to give up our closest relationships. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 34, do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me this I think is the most difficult of all right here Someone might be thinking, is Jesus saying that we need to abandon our families if we're going to truly follow him? I thought the family was something that we were supposed to value. I don't think he's saying abandon your family. But he is saying that nothing, not even family, should get in the way of our devotion, our faithfulness, our worship of him. Our society today, there's still a remnant of our society that values family harmony, that values peace. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. It's not good, however, when we value peace in our homes more than truth. Some things are more important than getting along with people, than making them feel good about themselves, than making them feel comfortable and at ease. Do we value peace and harmony with others so much so that it prevents us from being faithful to Christ? that it causes us to, com- to compromise, that it moves us to tell people just what they want to hear, not what we know they need to hear. Does it prevent us to, uh, from speaking what is true just so that we don't make waves? What a terrible thing it is when parents say, you know what, dude, just, just go ahead, go, go ahead and do the drugs under my roof, or, or, or throw the wild parties, or sleep with your girlfriend, or live, with that, uh, live that lifestyle, or listen to that music, or watch those films that dishonor Christ. Go ahead and mock the only one in all existence who should be feared, respected, and whose name alone should be hallowed, as long as we can just have peace in our home." can't we just at least seem like we love each other here, like we're we're a family? Christ didn't come to bring that definition of peace. That's not peace. That's encouraging rebellion against your creator. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, he said. When you value Christ more than your family and other relationships when you say that Christ is number one, he's the one I'm going to follow in 2020, I'm on this journey with him, will you run the risk of Christ coming between you and those you care about? And that may not sound very loving, but it's actually the greatest act of care you can show others. It's by loving Christ first. First by praying that they will do the same. That's because the most important thing that they need is not affirmation. It's not support. It's not feeling loved or valued or accepted. It's to be made right with their creator. Because if that isn't happening, then none of the other stuff matters. In fact, all of the other stuff is just leading them into a false sense of security. And that is a tragedy. Lord, when our desire to keep peace tempts us to abandon our faith in you, help us to remember that you've adopted us into your family. May our love for brothers and sisters and parents and wives and husbands and children be seen in our faithfulness to you For there's nothing that our unbelieving family members need more than you. Have we counted the cost of journeying with Christ? Jesus wraps everything together in verse 38 of Matthew 10 when he says, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, there would have been no question in the disciples' minds as to what the cross meant. Just a few years before, they had seen the roads of Galilee lined with over 2,000 crucified Jews who had revolted against Rome. To carry the cross meant death. Make no mistake about it. The cost of following Christ is very high. There's to be absolutely nothing, not even life itself, that should be loved, valued, held more dearly than Christ. And at this point, someone would rightly question, well, then why would you follow Christ if it costs so much? And the answer is very simple. Because he's worth it. The glory, the beauty, the majesty of God is what compels us to follow with wild abandon and proclaim his riches despite the apparent cost to us. Because when we come closer to the realization of who God is and what he's done for us in sending Christ, his son, to die, that sinners like us might marvel and even share in his glory We look at the loss of all these worldly things that we once valued and shout, it's worth it. We gladly sign the ship's manifest and set sail with our Savior to the new world. Who Christ is, what he's done, that compels us to obey his call. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the treasure in the field or that pearl that is of that great worth that when we encounter it, it just moves us to leave everything that we once valued behind. Praise the Lord. Christ is worth it all. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Journeying with Christ is costly. It means giving up our security, our safety, our fear of others, even a willingness to give up our closest relationships, and yet our greatest gain is found in losing ourselves for the glory of God. As my friends and I walked down the winding path through the trees that eventually broke away, they revealed a heart-stopping expanse. The Grand Canyon. <laughs> Everything else just instantly faded away. In an instant, we were captivated by the beauty, by the, the, the majesty, the grandeur of the sight before us. Nothing else seemed to matter. The pain in our backs, the, the length of the drive we endured, even the sleepless night that we endured, they were suddenly insignificant. We were lost in the beauty of the vast expanse of God's creation. As we step into this next leg of our journey with Christ, let's run. Let's not just walk. Let's run with wild abandon. Let's fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith and gladly leave the rest behind. The cost is high. But he's worth it.